Hello and welcome to the now-named 12.01 podcast uh, with myself, Callum Watts, and Callum Roper. Uh, we are sans Bradley Allsop this evening because he is ill, so best wishes to him. Get well um, soon, Brad. Yep, get well soon indeed. Uh, we thought we would start with talking about the beginning of the totalitarian state in the UK, Otherwise, uh, or the or the seemingly attempt to cast fairly not innocuous, but what's the word? Mainstream organisations like the CND and actually Extinction Rebellion as well as being terrorist groups. Yes. In the views of the Metropolitan Police. Um, what have they? What, what's the news of this? When did this come out? Uh, so it's in the last week or so we've heard about this. Um, so the uh, counter-terrorism policing group, headed up by the Met Police, they've put out warnings to uh, teachers and uh, all sorts of people in public places to say that certain groups and symbols are, uh, are radical and they should be cracked down and reported to under the Prevent Scheme, um, which has traditionally been associated. Um, rather controversially with sort of Islamic terrorism Mm -hmm. um, and with right-wing groups Mm. so reporting children young people for that so it's quite out of the blue that this came out we uh, heard that Extinction Rebellion was listed as an an extremist ideology Mm. Um, and teachers were asked to report students um, expressing sympathies um, supporting Extinction Rebellion to, to the police, effectively. I think that one of these insidious things was that they, they said that you should report anyone who was had extremist, or seemed to have extremist climate views, mm-hmm. uh, or seemed to have yes. a view that we were destroying the planet, which is yes. which a scientific which fact. You know? It's a scientific fact, and I think actually the only extremist view in relation to the climate mm. is denying that there's climate change, and maybe yeah, we should absolutely. be reporting those people because the, the writing's on the wall the, the planet's ablaze the seas are rising um, it's, it's an absolute mess and to, to turn around and say this is, is, is crazy it really is and then we've got other groups as well uh, we've got Stand Up to Racism we've got Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament the Palestinian Solidarity Campaign mm-hmm. Stop the War Coalition yeah. all groups that have been accused of being effectively terrorist ideologies extremists to the point that we should be worried as a society there should be some sort of moral panic about this Mm. and that our young children are being indoctrinated in some way or another so when I saw this it it was certainly a shock to me and and it is worrying if this is the start of a trend of a crackdown on left-wing groups fairly soft left-wing groups in terms of they're not exactly radical communists um, well, some of them are. Some of them are. There are some communists that have been listed as well. But, but know, that, that I think the important thing from this is not to crack down on ideologies full stop. Unless they're expressing hatred, inciting violence, um, which none of these groups are. Hmm. They're largely, they turn up to marches, they uh, protest against things like climate change and racism. But the police and then might they go argue. Home. <laughs> the police might argue that obviously extinction rebellion caused widespread pandemonium mm-hmm. in its protests. Was it last year? 
uh, blocking roads and so on. And that's a major threat, they would argue, to, to public life. Um, well, there's because uh, I, I think Extinction Rebellion are a good group to talk about in relation to this because it has inspired people young and old to speak about the climate crisis. Mm. But the important thing we've got to remember is that they were using peaceful tactics. They were not resisting arrest. They were not rioting in the streets. Mm. The, the worst that they've done is, is glue themselves to a train. Mm. That's the worst. Mm. And the group has immediately condemned uh, any activists that have done that. And mm. they said that we're not about that. Mm. We don't want to shut down rapid transport systems. Mm. So it's, it's a very interesting situation and we should be worried as if you're from the left or from the right that discourse and the right to protest is being shut down in this way. Mm. Do, you know, do you know how I blame for all of this? Uh, I think I blame the historian Lucy Worsley mm. um, because about a, um, a year ago, I think it was only a couple of months before the first Extinction Rebellion uh, protests, uh, she did a, an excellent documentary about, uh, I think it was just called Suffragette, yeah. and it talks there about how the um, first wave of feminists, really, the suffragettes, wanted to be arrested, mm. you know, and they were happy to be so because that made them martyrs, basically, yes. and rallied people to their cause. And there must have, there were millions of people who watched that, and I think that that influenced people in a positive way, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. um, and you know, it, uh, and obviously, they people don't get force-fed anymore. But obviously, it's quite heartening that people are willing to put themselves at risk for that, mm -hmm. um, and it it demonstrates conviction as well. If you are willing to go to prison, then it is a sign that you really do believe what you're saying. Um, and yeah. that's that's the value in it, and that's the kind of key behind Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I suppose perhaps makes them so dangerous and perspective mm. of uh, of law enforcement. Um, mm. uh, I guess. Yeah, and I, I I think sort of furthering on from that, there's nothing wrong with peaceful protests. We've got to remember that most of these people were released mm. after about 24 hours, yeah. or even less. Yeah. Because they hadn't broken the law. Mm -hmm. But now the police, you remember the London-wide ban on protests by Extinction mm. Rebellion? Yeah. That was chucked out at court. So there is still some protections, but the minute now we have a Tory majority, in theory they could change the law to ban these groups. That's right, and they have put, they've pushed the envelope before because I think it was before um, the wedding of... I don't think they did it before the wedding of Kate and William. No. But they did for the wedding of Harry and Meghan. Mm. Um, they preemptively arrested people that they thought might actually engage in protests on the day. Mm. Now that is, if anything, a lot more scary. That is, yeah. Because um, that's done without any due process. It's based mm. entirely on suspicion. Mm. And it fundamentally violates... Kind of the, the our principle of law, which you know is that you're innocent until proven yeah, guilty. Yeah, pre in this case, we're, we're not even allowing you to yeah. commit the crime first. Okay, mm. you know, if someone 
you know, has been making a bomb, and you can demonstrate yeah. that they've been making a bomb or something like that, then mm. obviously, on, on balance, you probably do mm. want to do something to intervene. But mm. if someone's planning to do a peaceful protest, then it's clearly yeah. wrong yeah. to try and, and, and arrest them beforehand. Um, and I'm surprised that more of that hasn't happened to Extinction Rebellion so yeah. far, but it, it might the next time that they try. Um, because a lot of the way that they organise is on social media, and they don't do any vetting. The whole point is that, you know, it's as many people join yeah. this Facebook page as possible, and we're going to talk openly about where we're going to go and what we're going to do. Um, so, it will... Uh, oh, no, are we good? It's still recording, that's fine. Yeah. Just having a few technical issues earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, I mean, the, the police know everything that they're going to do in advance, so it'll be interesting to see what their response is the next time. Yeah. But I think that to be fair, the police have retracted their advice that we've been talking about formally. They, they prevent advice. Yeah. I think they took Extinction Rebellion off. I don't know if they took um, the CND off for any of the others. Mm. Well, there was also um, St. Pauli Football Club, which is a German lower leagues football club famed for its stance against um, uh, against racism it's strong anti-fascists uh, and they were and it, basically their logo is a skull and crossbones and this was and this so, was also issued oh, as part of this okay. morning um, that's that's it it's a football yeah. club that has strong moral principles against yeah. any sort of discrimination across the board mm. and they've decided that that also is uh, somehow poisoning our youth uh, yeah. um, you know I, d I don't know what you make of that it's, but it's, it's I think too it's ridiculous. woke for the UK it's <laughs> the, 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 the common language isn't it um, but yes no I mean they have withdrawn it but I don't believe for a minute that they don't continue to think mm. that these groups are terrorist groups and we need to be very careful I think yeah about what I should mean, our response be do you reckon to, to these in the long run in in the in the long run, I think we've got to prove that firstly, public opinion is on the side of a lot of these groups. Mm -hmm. Their their principles are in the right place by and large, mm. and most people, if you used to ask them in the street, do you support the principle of standing up to racism? Mm -hmm. They would agree with you. Yeah. Do you agree that there is a climate crisis and we've got to act now most people will probably say yes I imagine mm. speaking to most people obviously within a university bubble I haven't found a denier yet but these groups we've got to make sure that they do not get tarnished by any sort of negative press outing them as extremists no. because it is I, I still struggle with the concept that just by saying that we're in the midst of a mass extinction event mm. and we should be fighting it is somehow extremist. Mm. I struggle with that concept, and I think it's very dangerous, especially the amount of press coverage that this got. Yeah, people will start thinking anybody associated with the Extinction Rebellion, the CND, these sort of these sort of groups could then tarnish people's reputations. I think we need to remind people of the poem, don't we? About first they came for the communists, yeah. then they came for the trade unionists. Mm. And then they came for the Jews. And then once they were gone, no one was left. Mm -hmm. So even, if, I think what that says to people is that even if you don't give a damn about yeah. all of these other people at the end of the day, it's you, you need to stand with them. Because yeah. if you don't, mm -hmm. no one's going to stand with you, mate. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the, and that's the basis of, of solidarity. By the way, you should care about the people. It's a yeah. natural human uh-huh. uh, feeling of empathy. You know. Um, yeah. You know, you should anybody, no matter where they come from, their politics. You know, we mm. have, we're friends in other parties. Yeah. And we we love them as our friends. Our neighbours in our community, no. even <laughs> even if they don't share our views on politics, the important thing is we look out for them. And I'm sure yeah. we would stand up for anybody if they were from another political party Absolutely. and they were being locked up for their views. Yeah, unless there's some appalling racist rubbish that they're coming out. Yeah, with. I mean, the, the, I've, and I've, by the way, I've been involved in that. I mean, I, I count some years ago. Mm. Won't say who was involved, but one uh, there was a Labour activist who was basically being verbally assaulted, but it looked like it could have become physical mm. um, by a BNP candidate. Blimey. Um, uh, at that, and that was at a count, by mm. the way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, normally it counts. Everyone calms down, the campaign's over, you know, everyone, mm. it's a little bit tense in a way, but people kind of relax and talk to one another. Um, so it's quite unusual to see basically this thug starting up a fight and me and someone else had to stand between them and we yeah. did that you know um, to, 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 uh, to keep them apart um, so yeah it does happen and we, we need solidarity on a Absolutely. human level not a political one necessarily mm, I agree shall we move on to the next thing you wanted to talk about trains what's yes. happening on the ra- what's going off the rails this week off the rails on the rails um, so there's been a an ongoing problem with South Western Railway, along with another, uh, a load of other franchises uh, around the country. But this one's in, in quite an important case because uh, the Department for Transport yesterday came out and said that basically they've got to buck up their act mm-hmm. because they've made massive losses. The service is appalling, as it is on most of these franchised railways, northern being another key example, Southern Railway mm-hmm. is another one where they've had terrible service and they're also cutting guards and staff at stations. Mm-hmm. And um, they've come out and they've said they've threatened to possibly take it into the state's hands mm-hmm. for now, as they've done with LNER, as we know in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, they've, it's basically a, a threat they've issued. But th- the thing that was worrying for me in the statement was not the attack on the company, the franchise, hmm. but they later in the um, in the official government statement that comes out about this, they're talking about the unions. They're attacking the unions almost to say that they're culpable for the flaws of a capitalist um, company running a franchise on a monopoly that is the railway. So what have they said? So they've said um, passengers on SWR, South Western Railway, have already suffered significant disruption from industrial action by the RMT, and this week the RMT are balloting for further strikes. Mm -hmm. These strikes are not about safety, accessibility or helping passengers. Driver controlled trains are perfectly safe and have been operated elsewhere on the network for many years. So what they're basically saying is that the RMT are in the wrong for standing up for the rights of their uh, workers that are part of their union. Mm -hmm. They've said that any concerns about safety on the railways Mm. Is, is is trivial it's nothing to worry about it's all very safe not having a guard mm. um, and we should just put up and shut up but I think the worrying thing by putting that at the end of their statement is 
diverting away from the, the main issue, which is the franchise. Mm. Safety issues and cutting the guards. And the reason why they're on strike is because of the franchise, not because of the drivers and the guards that have been mistreated mm. and, and rightly are standing up for their workers' rights. Mm. Um, I mean, unions don't go on strike frivolously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've said, said before, I work for a trade union. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's so much mediation and so much negotiation mm. that goes on yeah. before we get even close to talking about strike action. And that goes for nearly every union. Um, and so the RMT will have done that. And now it's just kind of, mm-hmm. this is the only option. Yeah. This is the only way to draw attention to the issue. This is the only way to force the issue and force the, uh, the, the people running the service to come to the table. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the, the finger of blame ultimately needs, needs to lie. And um, basically, the government's got to sort it out. Mm-hmm. The government's <laughs> got to step in. Yeah. They, they did it with LNER. Mm. Services are much faster. We now have more regular services to Lincoln. Obviously planned yeah. before they took over. Mm. But they're running a lot better. They're upgrading the network. We're seeing nicer trains, better trains. We've still got guards, importantly, as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And isn't it curious how whenever... Uh, every four or five years when the East Coast mainline has to be renationalized mm. because it's making a loss it suddenly starts making a profit yeah. I have to apologize for my phone again it suddenly starts making a yeah, profit yeah. and then after a while they go oh, okay well we're gonna sell it off now mm. and then it almost immediately starts making a loss mm. and it has and that has to be yeah. the thing is we're paying for it anyway because the only way it's profitable when it's on private hands is through subsidies exactly mm. yeah. even though the ticket prices are astronomical yeah. Yeah. and so on and this is such a vital part of our national infrastructure mm. um, so many people use it to get to work. If you live in the home counties, that's probably to London. If you live in Lincoln, that's probably to Nottingham or uh, Leicester or wherever. Um, it's so, so critical mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that, that, that it has to be run as a public service. There's no other way to do it. Absolutely. And it's, and it's I mean, it's very basic economics as well. It's almost not... I feel, but it is still worth mentioning, at the end of the day, it's not a product like a different type of beer uh, yeah. or, you know, a different sandwich yeah. that you can just go to another store and buy. If you need to get from A to B, if you want to get from Newark to Lincoln, for example, and there is a train going leaving in 10 minutes, you're not going to go, oh, no, I'll wait for the LNER train that's coming in three hours' time. Mm. You know, it's not how it works. It's a natural monopoly. Mm-hmm. As, um, as, it, as it is with a number of services, water, gas, mm-hmm. electricity. There's no alternative, really. Mm. You know, the only difference is, is whether you want first or second class seats. That's yeah. the only choice you've and got. The, and this is, the, this is the fallacy, isn't it? They call this liberty. Mm. Yeah. Freedom. Yeah. But actually, yeah. it's... it's, yeah. it's, a nat- it's As you it's, say, it's, it's a, a natural trap. monopoly. It's a trap. Effectively, unless you want to go back to the Victorian times where we're building a railway line going from one place to another but Mm. taking a different route, but it goes to it gets to the same end point, yeah, which is completely pointless. Yes, you know, it's a completely it's probably the best example of how a market system doesn't deliver. Mm. And actually, you end up having two railway lines serving the same place and they end up cancelling each other out, yeah. 
Let me just fetch my phone, which is making a noise, and that's going to sound on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, um, think, I think what we've got to consider here is, certainly in Lincoln, we're very much reliant on the railways to get out of the city if, we're, if we can't drive. Mm-hmm. And if we want to encourage people to use public transport more, I think the railways need to be a number of things. Firstly, they need to be more affordable. Mm. They need to be more reliable. And also the, the services themselves have to be delivered in a fashion that people, people are going to use. Mm. So you see these clunky old trains on some of the lines. Yeah. Some of them are being upgraded, yes, but what that normally means is that the older stock get moved on to a different part of the network. Mm. So they're only moving bits around. Mm. Getting rid of the thirty-year-old trains and replacing them with twenty-year-old trains, and you get a new swanky train on the sort of the headline routes, London to Edinburgh. Mm. Well, the Tories' answer to all of this would be: if you want real liberty, then obviously buy a car, mm. <laughs> which I, a lot of people yeah. obviously who take the train have got anyway. But for whatever reason, taking the train is actually mm. more convenient. It's faster, more direct, less stressful mm-hmm. as well. Um, in the main and uh, still in many cases cheaper yes um, but and, and, and obviously much more environmentally friendly just to link it into what we were talking about earlier um, there was a transport survey last year yes. that Karen Lee headed up along with the city council and others uh, and the county council as well, of course. And the findings from that are excellent. Talking about park and ride, creating new cycle lanes, mm. modal shift, getting people to take more buses and things like that. But it will come under, in fact, I know it's come under some criticism from Tory politicians mm-hmm. um, saying we don't want a nanny state where people are... Mm. Uh, discouraged from yeah. driving their motor cars well I'm, I'm um, sorry but if, if you're a councillor in Lincolnshire you've got to realise that if the seas are rising there won't be a Lincolnshire County Council no, because it will be underwater there is that yeah so you know we've got to act now and, and to sort of this mm. nanny state thing it's giving people the choice and if you have a cheap fast mm. and reliable and a comfortable railway service and you yeah. want to get down to London from mm-hmm. Lincoln yeah it's, it makes sense to use that service. But if it's unreliable, mm. if it's very expensive, if it's you know not very, very shoddy quality, it's not a very comfortable ride and you're taking ages and there's delays, yeah. well, you're not going to use it, obviously. But if you give people that choice, actually, there's more of a choice if you have a state-run mm. quality railway service that's affordable for people, ordinary people, to use. Mm. Then that's something that probably provides more choice, in my opinion, than saying, well, just let people buy a car, because I know I can't afford to, to buy a car. No. no. I'm sure you probably we can afford it. And it's impractical oh, in a city like Lincoln if you live in the centre to own a car. I could now, but it would be, because I, I now have, I've just got a full-time job, but if I had a car, it would consume about a third of my income hmm. in terms of insurance and, and, and petrol and so on. And I probably will have to do that because actually, to be fair, getting around in Lincolnshire sometimes does require you to yeah, use cars. Outside of the city, yeah, certainly. But if you're going back and forth to the city and if there's a lot of people who are using that route, then surely the logic would be put a bus in yeah. and use that. And the, a simple line is, you know, is, well, you don't like traffic jams. Mm. Well, it's because everyone's using their cars. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we do need to do something about mm-hmm. it. And actually your your journey in to do to work or shop in the city or go home at night will be a lot easier if we enact these policies. Mm-hmm. Um and and it, and it's got to be done because we've got to save the planet as well. Yeah. So that's that's what I'd say about transport. So we'll see. Um I know that the last time um that I heard it being discussed in local political circles, it the um transport um, task force that was what it yeah, is uh, the, their force, report yeah. was going to the county council so we'll have to see what they decide to do because um, mm-hmm. sometimes Tories do sort of masquerade as green Tories sometimes mm-hmm. remember yeah, yeah. Um, who was the guy in Richmond Park Zach Goldsmith, Zach Goldsmith yeah, he yeah. built his reputation on that um, and sometimes they do do the right thing yeah. so I hope that they will Um Will shall we talk about um, the leadership? Yes, we'll case. talk about the leadership. Yeah. Um, hopefully, everyone won't switch off at this point. Um, yeah. But then, I suppose if you sat in on discussion about trains, maybe. You'll, uh, well, you never know. On. You know, we have a lot of trains in Lincoln. People might be bored of them. Yeah. Railway fatigue. So, who's going to win? Do you think are we, are we getting closer to having a clear front runner, or do you think it's still? Well, I mean, Starmer's been the front runner in the eyes of the press from mm. the get go. Yeah, but I'm always very dubious about that. Mm. I'm always very suspicious about the press's front runner because we got to remember the first Corbyn campaign, mm. who most definitely wasn't the front runner. Yeah, well, actually, I, I would, I, we talked last time about my first leadership election mm, in 2020 yes. the the front runner all the way through that until the result was literally announced was yeah. david miliband yeah. and it wasn't david miliband's the front runner i think in 2015 well it was going to be andy burnham well, it was everybody knew it was going to be andy burnham mm-hmm. um there was a possibility it might be yvette cooper but it's probably going to be andy burnham um and it wasn't and the only time when it was fairly clear that who was going to win was probably 2016. Yeah, it was the Smith. Because that was, it was yeah. obvious to everyone who wasn't in the PLP that you know members were not going to look kindly on the, having their democratically elected leader very publicly stabbed in the back or mm. stabbed in the front, as, uh, yes. as yes. Phillips <laughs> would put it. Um, so it's uh, isn't that a shame that she's out of the race, incidentally? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I, it was kind of disappointing in a way because I thought she would be more of a um, she'd have more of an impact on the contest mm. well I think from the start her credibility just from an objective sort of yeah you know her, forgetting my forgetting her politics yeah her, her, I think her credibility took a big hit when she had an interview on the TV they asked her about policy. Yeah. And actually, it was quite shallow. She yeah. had a, some good stuff, and she was quite a, she's quite popular in some circles of the party. Mm. But in terms of policy, it was very lacking at times. Mm. Because if you spent years attacking the leadership from mm. a, a footing of, I just don't like them, not because it's really, there's, there's no real sort of policy basis on it. You just didn't like it, didn't like what they stood for, their wing of the party. And so she was found out, I think. Yeah. She was. And, you know, credit to the likes of Nandy, actually, at least having a platform 
to stand on and a number of policies that we wants to bring in, notably yeah. towns, talking a lot about towns. Yeah. Um, she had quite a good welfare pitch mm. today as well, actually. I only managed to look at it lightly. Yeah. Uh, what was she proposing uh, there? Was it? Um, Preparation Prep. is excellent yeah. in this podcast. Well, I noticed the other day she skewered Piers Morgan, so that's always something good. That's always good. That's always something to uh, be happy with. Um, but to be fair, a lot of people do that to Piers Morgan these days. So, Okay, it was all over the news during the day, but it isn't now. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I hope she hasn't gone back on them if they were that good. Uh, yeah, no, it's gone. Oh. It's it's it, um, hmm. yeah, Although interestingly, she has said that she she doesn't support the Long Bailey reforms in terms of mandatory reselection. No, I think I think that's something we do. It's the that is the first big policy from her that's really cut through. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wish that she was talking more about the Green New Deal, which yeah. we could talk about. Well, that's her flat. That's her baby. That's yeah. what she's nurtured and pushed for. That's why it was such a big mm. issue in the election for us beyond Brexit and the NHS. Yeah. Was the Green New Deal, and mm. we should. She should certainly be talking more about that. I hope she does over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Maybe just hoping to get the unions out of the way, as we know a few of the unions are a bit pushed back on green issues. Yeah, I, I um, mean, it, there, there was some difficulty with the policy at the last conference, mm-hmm. but really, it was um, it was only about whether to agree to, I think it was zero carbon by or being carbon neutral by twenty thirty. Or that not. was the issue, wasn't it? Um, and I, I, I was reading today quite a good article on the BBC about Finland. Mm. Finland has the closest, apparently, official. Uh, deadline for becoming carbon neutral. Okay, and when is that? And that is 2035. Okay. Um, arguably, somewhat easier to do because they are a country of, I think, 3.5 million people. Yes. Um, but even they have serious issues because they are quite dependent on peat, burning peat, not coal, peat. Peat. Um, mm. Because the geography of uh, Finland is there's a huge amount of peat bogs. Who, when they're in there, when they're in there, who they're not all called Pete, um, <laughs> P-E-A-T, um, when they're in their natural state, they absorb vast amounts of carbon, and of course, what that means is when they're yes. burned, they also release, release vast amounts of carbon, carbon. Um, and so they're quite heavily dependent on that for heating and energy and so on. Um, but they are their governing coalition is quite determined to. Um, uh, become carbon neutral by 2035 but they just have this slightly thorny issue about employment in mm. that sector and obviously that is the thing that worries our trade unions yeah. as well is that um, of course we want to reduce and eliminate ideally carbon emissions but also we need to keep food on the table for our members mm-hmm. Um, and that is a that's it's a, about that transition, isn't it? Yeah, we need to make sure yeah. we get that transition yeah. right. Well, I know the proposal was that we move quickly to nuclear to fill in the gap. 
Yeah, which, which is an interesting gonna, it, Yeah, it's, um, it's um, not going to please the CND. And no, I, don't know I can see the merits in it, actually. I you think, can see the merits in I it. I think that's a good idea because you need a vast output very mm. quickly. And nuclear is the only way to do that. And then what we do is, in the meantime, we invest in this green economy, building mm. solar farms, wind farms, tidal power. Yeah. Wave power is another one that I know they've been researching up in Scotland. Mm-hmm. There's so much potential in that, but the technology isn't there yet, and as is ba- battery technology needs to come a long way. Mm. So in the, to fill that gap, as a bitter pill as it is to swallow, I think nuclear is the only cleanish alternative. Clean-ish. I do say ish purely because of the the effects of nuclear. Once you've decommissioned the station, it it lasts well beyond. Our, our lifetimes. There is a slight issue with it, though, is, and it's geopolitical, mm. which is that um, where does that uranium come from? I don't think we have any deposits we in don't this think. country. So Russia's one of the big suppliers, right? Yes. So, they can, so yeah. that's potentially problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Australia does as well, which is which is useful. But obviously, if uh, it, that means there has to be uh, a global response as well, and so yeah. so there, there's there's those issues as well. But returning to the sort of leadership, yes, uh, issue. Um, obviously, we need some kind of green new deal anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Those are the three sort of big headlines that that, that uh, Labour needs to deal with. Green new deal putting roofs over people's heads uh-huh. because even if you're not actually out on the streets and there are an increasing number of people who are mm-hmm. um, you're sofa surf there's vast numbers of people who are surf surfing I think in Lincoln there's um, we all know if you walk down the high street in Lincoln there are probably at a certain time during the day early evening um, about two dozen people mm-hmm. you're probably likely to see if you walk from top to bottom who are on the streets? Yeah. Now some of them are orange in shelters, and some of them, and, and they're, they're just there for social reasons or because they need to beg. Um, but there are going to still be even because I used to work in the nightclub industry. There's still going to be at eleven o'clock at night about half a dozen people on the high street itself. But those aren't actually. That's the tip of the iceberg when yes. it comes to actual homeless people. The actual number is estimated to be about three thousand mm-hmm. people in Lincoln who yeah. are have no fixed abode. Yeah, that's that's um, that, that's the key distinction. Mm. Think homeless and immediately think rough sleeping. That's right. Yeah. But there's the uncounted people. Yeah. The, the faceless people that we don't see on the high street. That's right. That are sofa surfing, staying mm-hmm. with people, friends, don't have a fixed abode, mm-hmm. or just, you know, yeah. they're just moving around. Meanwhile, at the same time, there's actually about 3,000 empty homes. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the great problem that we face, mm. is that there's so many empty properties, mm-hmm. and yet there's so much homelessness at the same time. Yeah. So what do we do? I personally think we should start requisitioning empty properties and, and I know that City Council is starting to look into that mm-hmm. but uh, um, fortunately or unfortunately it depends um, how, how strongly you feel about it um, there are very strict rules about how you can acquire a property mm-hmm. it has to be basically 
um, in, in an almost dilapidated state, you know, at risk, mm. especially if it's listed or something like that, that helps um, before a local authority can take it over. Yeah. So it's not really a viable it is solution. A, that, um, that, that's, that, that's the problem, though, is that how do we get around that? And there's certainly no money in the coffers mm-hmm. for a council to be buying 3,000 houses. No, 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 there's, exactly. You know, that, which is, that's the dilemma, is there's not enough powers mm-hmm. for local authorities to take properties into their care, mm-hmm. effectively, to rent out at a minimal rate to people that are homeless, or even at a very low rate, no rate at all mm. until they get themselves back on their feet mm. and that that's the issue I feel is that local authorities are left underfunded and underpowered to deal with it mm. and you're relying on charity you know groups going out every evening speaking to homeless people giving them what little food they can mm-hmm. and just hoping that they can get through the winter and indeed the summer as well it's it's certainly not a, a comfortable ride once you're out of winter mm. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest tragedies of, of our time, is that we're meant to be a civilised society and yet homelessness is on the up. Yeah. And then, the, I mean, but also, we just need to build more houses. We do. We do need to build more houses. And they need to be publicly owned, mm-hmm. almost all yeah. of them, I would suggest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they can't, that, I think there should be an exemption, they shouldn't be eligible for right to buy yeah, they should be exempt from it because yeah. that's the problem. We're losing housing stock as quick as we're mm-hmm. building it, or actually, we're losing it quicker than we are building it mm. in some cases. And another problem is that it's it's certainly some um, older developments that were council houses that have since been bought out, or they've been cleared out in some cases, are being bulldozed and replaced mm. with privately owned houses that are far less dense so you can't get as many people in yeah. four or five bedroom family houses where once where there was once social housing for the most vulnerable in our society so that's not helping either i know that's something that the in london that sort of gentrification of housing is going on mm. and people being originally they lived in the center of town then they were moved slightly further out now they've been booted out even further beyond the suburbs into some of the satellite towns we, we almost seems to be uh, have an olive branch sent to us by the government this time last year um, in that they lifted the cap on borrowing to build houses mm. which sounded great but also kind of you're thinking why yeah. are they doing that and of course a few months after that it's revealed that it's because they're basically going to privatise the loans mm. that they're going to give yeah. and probably raise the interest rates as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so effectively, it's another opportunity for someone to make money yeah. off of yeah. councils doing a good thing. It's a, I, um, it's a basic right. Nobody should be making money off a basic right. No, no. Absolutely you've got not. To account for it. It's yeah. got to pay for itself. It's got to but, pay for itself completely right. But it's things like water. Should they be, they shouldn't be making a profit on water. It's a basic necessity. No. Yeah, exactly. It's a basic necessity, and people have every right to, you know, be fed, be watered, and have a roof over their head, mm-hmm. at the very least. So that's our second headline. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the third one is being anti-austerity. So, mm-hmm. Green New Deal, housing, austerity, reverse it. If we do that, those are the three yeah. things that need to stick in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think, going forward, because there's no more fundamental problems than, 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 than those. I can't think of anything. Okay, we talked about trains and so on. Yeah, those are luxuries in comparison. Yeah. We do need to be talking about the very basic services and amenities mm-hmm. that people deserve. They don't, it's not a luxury to have a house. It's not a luxury to have, to not be hungry. And also people know that we're going to nationalise the railways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a mystery to me why previous Labour governments, well it's not really, but you know, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's a one social democracy, not even socialism. Yeah. Um, we need to be talking about the more fundamental bread and butter issues for yeah. people, which are the three that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think that's completely right. And that's, that's how we bring the country back together, mm-hmm. not through getting Brexit done. No, because through we're, looking we're, after the most vulnerable people. I mean, it's, it's uh, maybe, sorry, Bradley, um, but you know, I know that Bradley will disagree probably with this view, but ultimately. Brexit's going to end up where it was always going to end up, which is us leaving Europe, but not really. Mm. Um, we'll probably still be... Well, because the government at the moment, they're running around and saying, well, you know, regulations have got to change after Brexit and so on. Mm. Um, and obviously, it's been immediate pushback from businesses and so on. Yeah, and because they know that yeah. if they were to change the regulations, we couldn't trade with Europe. Yeah, precisely. They know exactly what Oh, and old uh, China and Japan, they're not in the European Union and they mm. don't... But of course they comply with those regulations yeah. because they have to sell to yeah. the European yeah. Union. So yeah. ultimately we will end up being a yeah. rule taker, which is what people voted for, um, ultimately. Um, and it will be like Norway and it will be fine. It won't be as good as what we had before, but we'll have to just have to deal with it. We'll have to deal with it and we'll have to, we've just got to move on because yeah. there is bigger fish to fry than Brexit. Yeah. As, you know, as, as painful as it is saying that, mm-hmm. because it's an issue that people have spoken about passionately for years now, but we've got to move on. Mm. When you've still got people homeless in the street, Brexit isn't going to stop that either way. Because mm-hmm. Remain, we still had homeless people Things weren't getting very much better. Mm. And even with leave, things aren't going to get much better. They could get worse. Mm. I don't want to speculate. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, that's the thing. We've got to focus on the key issues of the day. Mm-hmm. Climate change, homelessness, and reversing austerity. Yeah. And I think, that's, that's, I, think, I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah. As well. All right, then. Thank you very much. I'm not sure when we'll be back. Um, but we will, we'll, we will be back, I would say, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening.